Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation, uh, we are uh, coming near the end. We're in chapters 21 and 22 uh, today, uh, and we are coming near the end of this sermon series, All Things New, Hope at the Revelation of King Jesus. Uh, Last week we looked at part of Revelation 21 and 22, and we'll be in that again today and then next week, and then we will finish that up. And then we will be beginning a sermon series in the book of uh, Psalms uh, that will take us through uh, the summer uh, and uh, actually into the fall. So we will be starting that um, the week after uh, next. So uh, in a uh, September uh, 2022 uh, podcast interview uh, about Grief between Anderson Cooper and Stephen Colbert. Uh, it was a really interesting uh, podcast between the two of them uh, and uh, just a, a really fascinating conversation around grief and around them processing the death of their parents. Uh, Stephen Colbert said this at one point. He said, The first experience that I had holding my first child, my daughter, the first thing that occurred to me was how beautiful and how wrong that this will ever end. It's one of the uh, most pointed parts of this uh, interview and uh, a thing that kind of highlights the the very thing that we'll be talking about today and the way in which this world, in its most glorious moments, is still just missing something. There's just something slightly off. Right, you know that experience that I'm talking about, right? Where you are having the greatest experience that you can have, uh, whatever it is, uh, you know, maybe you're hiking a mountain and you get to this place and it's just perfect. But it ends. Or there's something just not right about it. The weather's just not exactly perfect. It's so close to perfect, but there's just like, there's just something off, right? Or you have this experience in which you're hanging out with friends and life is good, you're in relationship with people, everything feels so great, and then all of a sudden you remember something traumatic that's happened to you, or you doubt yourself. You told a joke, and it didn't go well, and so you then remember these moments in which something, you had a similar experience as a child, and and all these feelings come up, and it goes, and it just feels like, well, that, ru- that moment was ruined now. Or you're reminded in the midst of being around people that you actually feel incredibly lonely. Right? There's just these things that we experience in life where it's like, this is really good. This is the way life is meant to be. And then it's just not there. Well, this morning, I want to talk about a, just, we're really going to focus in on this one particular verse and unpack how that will not always be the case. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3. Describing the new heavens and new earth. Remember last week we looked at, uh, before we get here, sorry. Uh, Last week we looked at the reality that this is a physical new heavens and new earth. Right? That John envisions this physical reality coming. Right? He sees the city of God descending out of the heavens Uh, to the earth, and it is this perfect cube, right? It's 1,400 miles tall, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, and the idea of this is it replicates 
the, the Holy of Holies, which was a perfect cube, right? That God's temple is now dwelling with his people. And the point of it is to exaggerate the size of it to say, not like these are not literal things, right? It's a figurative uh, way of describing the, the presence of God with his people, but also the vast size, big enough for all of God's people to fit. And it's this physical reality. It's a physical new heavens and new earth. It's not just this spiritual place in which we float around on clouds like angels, right? It is a physical reality. And so in the midst of describing it, this is what John says at one point. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. This is the thing we're going to meditate on this morning. The glory of Jesus in the reverse of the curse. Well, if you remember, uh, a few months ago we went through, we kind of took a pause in the middle of our Revelation series to look at uh, what it means to be made in God's image, right? The Imago Dei, this doctrine of being made in God's image, that we are created in the image of God. And one of the spaces we looked at was the reality of us being embodied creatures. That we are souls embodied, right? That we are uh, soul and body put together. And that's the way God intended it to be, this physical reality, right? And one of the ways, while we were looking at being embodied, we looked at some things about how that meant, about how we interact with the world. And we looked at the difference between sin, uh, brokenness, and finitude, right? Do you remember this? We looked at these three kind of categories of things. Uh, that sin is anything that we do in thought, word, or deed uh, that God tells us not to do, or not doing what he tells us to do in thought, word, and deed, right? Breaking God's law. That's sin. And we said in the midst of that sin, there is a solution that God offers us, right? That God offers us forgiveness by the cross of Jesus, and that we can repent of our sin and experience forgiveness. Now, we also looked at brokenness. And brokenness is the reality that the fall has kind of jacked with everything. The fall has just kind of messed up everything. It messes up things within me, like my desires and inclinations, my thoughts. It's also messed up things outside of me, like the natural order. The fact that we have to work hard against the earth and that the earth fights against us to live here. The fact that resources run out. The fact that there are natural disasters that break things, like sanctuary ceilings. The, the, the fact that these things happen, right? That the, work, the, that the earth kind of works against us and is really groaning in pain is part of the fall. And the solution to this comes in the resurrection of Jesus and the glorification coming that we're talking about this morning but right now, the thing that we can do in the midst of that is lament the reality of brokenness. We can lament the reality of brokenness and hope for later. But we also talked about some of the ways in which we are embodied is intentional, that we are finite, that we have human limits. And the challenge of that sermon was that the reality is that human limits, God made them before the fall, and those things are good. And we just have to be content with the human limits that we have. And one of the things that we were talking about in the midst of that was to say, often what happens for us 
And it's Satan's strategy to make us feel shame and brokenness is that we get confused as to what is sin, what is brokenness, and what is just my normal human limit. That sometimes I feel less than because I get tired and have to take a nap. Well, that's just a normal human limit, right? You're not less than for that. But we approach it sometimes that we feel like we have to repent of everything and God is disappointed with us. But the reality is he made us with human limits, right? And so we ought to be okay and be content with our human limits. Now, the reason I wanted to bring all this up is the reality is, if we're going to think about no longer will there be a curse upon anything, if we're thinking about the reverse of the curse, we need to think about what is it that will be reversed? What is it that's going to be affected in this new heavens and new earth that's going to be different than this reality now? And if we know what will be different then, it will help us live now in preparation for then, in hope for them then, but also in understanding how to actually function in this place today. So the first thing is that Jesus is obviously going to deal with our sin. Right? Part of the curse is the reality of uh, when, when Adam and Eve sin uh, and the fall happens, there is a curse placed upon them because of their sin, and our sin will be dealt with. It's absolutely going to be dealt with. It was dealt with on the cross. It is finished, and we will fully experience release from sin in the new heavens and new earth. And not just release from sin. Release from sin to never fall into it again. You see, the the new heavens and new earth is better than the garden. The garden was this place in which before the fall, they were in perfect relationship with God, right? There was no sin in the world, and yet there was the possibility of the fall. Clearly, because they fell, right? The new heavens and new earth will not be like that. Because we will be glorified like Jesus. So there will be no possibility of losing it. No possibility of falling again. No possibility of sinning again. It will be fully gone. So when we think about these areas of our life that are affected by the curse, sin will be totally done away with. Jesus is also going to undo brokenness. He's going to undo all of the brokenness that is surrounding us. We're going to talk a lot about that as we move forward in the midst of this, but he is going to undo the ways in which this world and us ourselves are broken. Now, finitude, this other aspect of being embodied, in some ways will remain. Now, certainly not finitude in terms of life being finite, right? Even that quote at the beginning from Stephen Colbert of like, this is beautiful and so horrible that it will end. That part of it, it will not end. That part of our finitude will be gone. We will never die again. Live forever. That part of finitude will be gone. However, I do think that there are, there's no indication that the real human limits of our embodied nature will be totally wiped out. There's no indication that it's like, well, you know, We can all just fly wherever we want, right? 
like, I'm sure there'll be planes, because there are planes today, so we could probably fly wherever we want, but not just, like, shoot off into the sky, right? Like, like that's the thing that people think about when they think about the new heavens, new earth. It's like, uh, oh, I can't wait till I can fly. I can't wait till I have all these superpowers. And it's like, well, I don't, you know, I'm not going, I don't think, too far out on a limb here. It doesn't say that you won't be able to do that, but there's no indication. Chris is going to fight me on this one. There's no indication that those normal human limits will be gone because they're not a part of the curse. God didn't make a mistake when he made you with two legs to walk around. Like God didn't make a mistake when he made you the way he made you. We are embodied creatures with real human limits. Here's why this is important. We often think that moral perfection is the same as no mistakes or limits. So we feel shame because of things that are limits and we feel like those are a part of the fall when they're really not. That we don't have to feel shame that we don't know everything. Right? This is another thing. We, we kind of have this assumption that the new heavens and new earth, I instantly will know everything about the universe. Well, I don't see that here. I don't see that in the text. That you're instantly going to be perfection in terms of knowledge of the universe and therefore you'll never have to learn another thing. That sounds really boring, to be honest, right? Like, I think we'll continue to learn and grow in that way because we'll be glorified like Jesus and the curse is removed, meaning sin is gone, brokenness is gone, but real human limits aren't part of those things. So, those I believe, will remain. We can't do everything. The new, heavens, the new heavens and new earth won't be in existence in which we don't need each other because each of us individually is the smartest, most wonderful, capable, perfect in all things person in the world. That's sort of an American dream individualism version of new heavens and new earth. No, we are still a community. Now, we will be a community with no sin, but we'll still be a community. We'll still be relational. We'll still need each other. Right? Even before the fall happens, remember, before the fall happens, it says that it's not good for man to be alone. That's before the fall. So we will still have relational connection. We will still be relational human beings. Okay, so I think this is important because I think some of our is we, we import this into some of our daily life to feel some shame and guilt at things that we ought not to feel shame and guilt about. Now, the cross is going to deal with, the, the cross is where God deals with our shame, our sin, and our guilt. The cross and the resurrection deal with these things. We've been talking about this throughout the book of Revelation, right? The way in which we experience the new heavens and new earth, right, is to be a part of the church to be those that have dipped their robes in the blood of the Lamb. To be those that have come to the Lamb that was slain. So if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not trusting in Jesus, this is the opportunity to have your guilt dealt with. That Jesus has done a mighty thing on the cross to deal with your guilt and you can be forgiven 100% of all of it. Past, present, and future sin all gone. This is how God deals with our guilt and our sin. 
And now, in this text, we see in the new heavens and new earth, God deals with our brokenness. Where does God deal with our brokenness? Well, this says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. So wherever we find evidence of the curse, that will be reversed. Wherever we find evidence of the curse, that will be reversed. In the earth, there is, in, in the earth right now, we see the curse all around us. There is brokenness in the earth. The ground fights against us. Right? Work is hard. Resources are scarce. There are natural disasters. There are, like, all you got to do is try and plant a garden, and you know that the earth is cursed and works against you. Right? Because you're trying to do something really not, like, fairly simple, and it's really hard because weeds just come up immediately. And it's really hard to dig sometimes because the ground doesn't work right, right? Like just the reality of trying to do something just simple like that to grow food so that you can survive is something that the earth works against you in. Not only is there brokenness in the earth, but there is brokenness in ourselves. Certainly the effects The fall affects us with sin, but also with brokenness. We feel shame. Remember, we looked at the fall in that Imago Dei series, and almost immediately, Adam and Eve, after the fall, feel shame. But they feel shame, it says, at their nakedness, which is not the way in which they sinned. So they feel shame at something else about them because of sinning in a totally different way, right? It's just that, Sin breaks things and makes us feel shame about ourselves. It's a way in which the curse is at work. We feel shame. We have desires that come out of nowhere that are contrary to God's word, and we don't know what to do with them. It's not like we chose to have them. They just kind of pop up, right? Like, this is the reality that we all experience. That leads to us having a hatred of self. Struggling to actually be okay that God knew what he was doing when he created us as individuals. We kind of hate that idea. It's a brokenness about ourselves. Leads to us feeling conflicting desires, right? I want to be with people, but I'm jealous of people. Uh, I just have these, all this broken, conflicting desires. I don't know what to do with myself. And there's the brokenness of our bodies, They decay. We experience chronic pain, disease, and ultimately death. The reality is, some of us live life with a certain level of chronic pain. I know some of you live with chronic pain. It's just a part of your life and existence. It's just the brokenness around us. That your daily life is hard because you experience hard things that are not as a result of your sin or a result of anything you've done. It's just the reality of living in a broken place. This is the reality of the fall. The curse affects our relationships. 
Specifically in the garden, right? The curse affects the relationship between husband and, lo- and wife. And that extends into all of our relationships. There is selfishness and violence. Just in general, there's the general brokenness that we bother each other. Right? Like, have you ever thought about this? Of like, God has created each person on this planet in his image... They are uniquely created. There's no one else like them. And when you step back and think about that, like God has created an individual person who's unique and is more important and brilliant than the stars, and they bother you. You're like, what the heck is that? This is a totally, utterly unique, glorious thing. It's the most glorious thing in the universe apart from God. Because it's stamped with his image. And it's right in front of me. They are right in front of me. And they bother me. What's wrong with me? Well, I'm broken, right? We just bother each other. It's just brokenness. Certainly, there are sinful ways in which we break each other. Racism and violence and sexism. All of these areas of life in which we intentionally or unintentionally break each other. In the new heavens and new earth, we've already talked about this, sin will be no more. It will be utterly gone. But not just sin. Brokenness will be gone. Brokenness will be gone. In us individually, in us individually, the reverse of the curse will look like our bodies will experience no more pain. There will be no more chronic issues. You won't wake up every day with a chronic headache. The flu will be no more. You'll never have to throw up again. No more brokenness. No more sickness. There will be no more disease. No more cancer. Which ravages families and individuals, affects the young and the old. No more heart disease, no more liver failure, no more COVID or any other pandemic, no more constant colds, childhood illnesses, suffering over and over again. No more brokenness in our bodies. Our bodies working the way they were designed to work without the curse affecting us. Again, not no more limits, but no more brokenness. No more death. No more fighting against age and my body. Not just our bodies, but our minds as well. No more shame. No more will there be this rising thought that I'm not good enough. No more will there be this conflicting desire. There will be no more thoughts of envy or self-hatred. There will be no more PTSD or sudden reminders of trauma. No more anxiety or depression. Again, this is important to remember. Brokenness. Not sin, right? 
When we think of the reason that we're talking about the reverse of the curse as this brokenness being undone is because sometimes when we experience mental trauma today, anxiety, depression, and other things, right? We just spent a month talking about mental health, right? Sometimes we categorize that in the place of sin where we have to repent. Well, that's not the answer. The answer is to lament the brokenness that we experience today, to cry out to God I don't understand why I feel the way I feel. And I lament this reality and I cry out to God for him to help. Cry out in hope of the resurrection and the glory in which Jesus will reverse the curse and make all things new. I think it was just this past week that the Surgeon General talked about an epidemic in loneliness. We will no longer experience loneliness. It will be no more. Our, not just in ourselves, but in our relationships, the curse will be gone. Our relationships with others, there will be no more jealousy. No more competing with one another for attention and love. No more feeling left out or being left out. No longer will people who are more important than the stars and utterly unique, made in God's image, bother us. No more irritation with each other. No more awkward tension that goes unresolved. No more fear of being hurt. No more fear of being hurt. What prevents us so often from loving one another today is the fear of being hurt. Because we've been hurt before, and so to step into a hard place, to step out and expose myself to another person, to tell them about who I am, to show them who I really am. I'm afraid of being hurt. No longer will that be a reality. There will be no more pain or sorrow or crying. There will be no more fear of being hurt. There will be no more racial or ethnic strife. We talked about this last week, the, the tree of life that comes in the middle has fruit for the healing of the nations. The reality of the thing that we as a church are committed to being a part of, that the gospel heals relationships and crosses barriers and heals relationships across ethnic and racial lines, that reality will be true because the tree of life is there with fruit specifically designed for the healing of the nations. That that brokenness of creating a diverse people and bringing a diverse people together, which causes both beauty and brokenness, right? When you get people who are different from one another together, the brokenness will be gone. And only beauty will be left. No more conflict between men and women. No more will there be this struggle to exist with one another. No more conflict between men and women. No more conflict between young and old. No more conflict between rich and poor or inequality between rich and poor. No more doubting of myself in relationship with other people. Not just in our relationship with one another, but also in our relationship with God. Obviously, there's no more sin. 
But even in our relationship with God, even knowing the freedom of the gospel and the forgiveness of the gospel, there is still this feeling of brokenness because we have distance between us and God. Sometimes it's not our individual sin that gets in our way with our relationship with God, but just the way I'm broken and experience brokenness in myself makes it hard to be in relationship with God. We go through seasons of spiritual dryness where we feel like we're walking in the desert. That brokenness will be gone. We will have immediate access to God. He will be right there. Right? What did it say? There is no no longer a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. The fact that the throne of God and the Lamb are in the midst of the new heavens and new earth is why there's no more a curse on anything. Because He's right there. No more fear or shame in our relationship with God. The experience of Adam and Eve in walking with God in the coolness of the garden will be our experience in the beauty of the garden city. Walking with God. There will be no more brokenness in creation. No more natural disasters. No more scarce resources. No more of the earth being against us. The struggle to work for food and water. No more will it be that the most beautiful places on the planet have the threat of weather death. Right? Isn't it weird, right? Like the, Sometimes the most beautiful places in the world have this threat of like a hurricane could wipe everything out. Which is why some of us choose to live in a place like this. And no more will there be forever gray skies. Every place will be beautiful without the threat of weather violence. No more floods. No more droughts. No more wildfires. No more tornadoes. No more earthquakes. No more wind damage. No more. No more will there be a curse upon this planet, which is so beautiful and yet broken. No more the ground working against us. No more will we work with frustration and doubts in myself. It's no indication that we'll no longer work, right? Adam and Eve had, uh, they tended the garden, you know? This garden city is probably going to need some things built, right? You know, I plan on going back to my original uh, degree in architecture because... My job will probably be uh, you know, obsolete at that point, my current job. Just be like, he's right there. You can go talk to Jesus right now. <laughs> but no more brokenness in designing cool things. That sounds great. No more working outside of what God wills for me. No more will we face in work the inability to get anything done and the experience of distraction that leads us to frustration in ourselves and in our work. No more lack of fulfillment. No more working every day just for a weekend or workaholism. No more dead-end jobs. And ultimately, no more dying things. No more will we run out of things. The most universal and defining thing about this earth that is different from the new heavens and new earth is death. Everything here dies and decays. 
Everything eventually dies. Not so in the new heavens and new earth. Not so. There will be no death, no decay, because all brokenness is fixed. And with all brokenness being fixed, not only will there be no death and decay, there also will be no diminishing returns. Right? Because isn't that your fear immediately when you think of something perfect? You'll be like, well, all good things must come to an end. No. That's here. Not there. No space in which you're going to be like, yeah, that thing is boring now. No more. So what do we do now? What do we do in the midst of this? What do we do in light of this reality? Well, the first thing that we do is be reconciled to God. In thinking about this, the Apostle Paul, in thinking about the new heavens and new earth, says this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now, after the resurrection, is what he's describing. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God in Christ, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin, sins against them, and gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. If you are, as I said earlier, if you're here this morning and you are not reconciled to God, be reconciled to God through Christ. Cry out to him. Come back to your creator. But one of the things that he said in the midst of this is that the reality is the new heavens and new earth and the promise of the new heavens and new earth affects right now. What did he say? This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is God. A new life has begun. What Paul is saying and what the whole New Testament argues is that we are in the midst of this tension of this already reality and this not yet experiencing it fully. That already we are new in Christ, even if we don't fully experience it yet. But you are already new in Christ. Meaning this new reality in which the curse is gone that we've just been talking about is already so true for your life in the future that you can even experience some of it now. Not all of it, but we can experience some of that now. We can join in the present reality. How do we join in that present reality? Well, I think there's a couple ways we can join in that present reality. First is that we can hope. Paul says this in Romans, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day in which it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This is Paul's argument here, right? you got to catch this. Paul's argument here is that the brokenness of the world around us is waiting to be redeemed when you're redeemed. When you're redeemed, 
When the reality of the resurrection and the new heavens and new earth, and you are glorified to be like Jesus, then the new heavens and new earth will be recreated to look like our glorious state. To join us in our glorious state. The important part of that is that God is more interested in your glory than he is in the universe's glory. Right? The universe is going to take its cue from you and your resurrection. And so we can hope. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of the future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must patiently w- and wait patiently and confidently. We can hope. We should be defined as people of hope. Because we have a glorious promise in which the curse will be reversed. In which the momentary suffering that we endure now is nothing to be compared to the glory that we will endure or that we will receive later. This should inform the way in which we repent. If this is our reality, if we are new creatures in Christ, if sin will be gone forever, we can easily repent. Why are we afraid? When our sin is exposed, we can just repent. It's going to be gone forever. This hope informs the way we repent. It informs the way we lament. We can be totally honest about how we feel. right? Paul says, we groan like the creation groans. How does the creation groan? Well, sometimes it splits open and swallows things. That's pretty intense. We can lament like that. We can be totally honest. Lord, this really stinks right now. Probably wouldn't say stinks, but like this is really terrible. We can be honest about that. Why? Because we have a hope that it won't always be that way. And the way we experience that hope is by going to the depth of our true pain. And there, God meets us. There's where God meets us and moves us forward. It also informs our contentment with our limits. Because in the new heavens and new earth, we'll still have limits, and so we can be content now. If God says, if the creation itself will take its cues from us as God's redeemed children being glorified, and we have limits, and all of creation is going to respond because of our redemption, it's okay to have limits then. The universe literally will respond to us in this way. It's going to take It's pattern from us. It's okay to have limits. God designed them. You can be content with them. Now, the last thing that we can do, we can hope, right? And we can be the church. The whole point of the book of Revelation is to say, don't look like Babylon. Don't take the strategies of Babylon. Be the church. Be the city on a hill. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it, loses, if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. 
No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. City on a hill sometimes has been stolen from the scriptures to embrace different things. Certainly, our culture, America, has, has taken that as a symbol of uh, what we want to be like. And, and yet, Jesus is very clear here, the city on the hill is the church. The church displaying the kingdom of God. The church displaying what it means to be the kingdom of God. Jesus also says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The point of these two uh, passages and looking at those is what I want to say is, what does he say that we should pray? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning... Friends, as the church, to be the city on the hill, we ought to look around the world, look at the world around us today and say, is this thing that someone's experiencing, is this part of the curse? And how can we apply the redemption of Jesus to this thing? How can we be about beginning this reality in which the curse is going to be reversed? How can we be a foretaste of that glory? How can we apply the redemption of Jesus to these things? Right? This is going to take on spiritual and material things. We're going to preach the gospel to people because that's going to free them from sin and shame and guilt. But we're also going to seek to eliminate real suffering because we're embodied creatures and the new heavens and new earth is going to be a place with no suffering. And so we ought to be a people that help alleviate suffering. How do we be about that? If we're to say, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, and Jesus has already said, right, he says that, he teaches them that prayer after he said, you're a city on a hill, and let your good deeds shine. Then he says, I want you to pray that God's will would be done on earth like it's in heaven. What he's saying is, I want you to be the church, and I'm sending you to make that thing a reality. That's what we're supposed to do. We're going to be about justice and mercy. Both the righteousness of God on display and the mercy of God on display. It's going to involve dying to self. Because the reality of trying to be about reversing the curse in this broken place is going to cause suffering to us. If you want to get serious about alleviating the suffering of others, be prepared to suffer yourself. Because it will cost. And that's what the whole book of Revelation has been preparing us for, right? That victory is dying to self. That victory is losing like the lamb. That victory comes in suffering. It means we're going to be about prayer that God would come and do his thing. And about action. Prayer for God to bring the kingdom and then be ready to answer that prayer. In our place and time, what does that mean? We live in a violent world. There is violence all around us, gun violence all around us. We've got to be about prayer 
that God's will would be done, and about action. How do we alleviate suffering? How do we be about the alleviating of suffering of other people? We ought to be about creation care. If the new heavens and new earth is going to be this physical world redeemed and glorified, why do we not care about the planet now? We should care about the planet now and try to figure out how do we be about reversing the effects of the curse even now, right? Like, are there things that we can do? If so, then let's do them. Let's care for the planet. Should be about healing racism and relationship fracture, generational fracture. Healing those relationships that are going to be healed for all eternity, we can be about that now. We ought to be about caring for people's mental health and having empathy for one another. Because Jesus is going to redeem us. we got to be a foretaste of that reality. we got to care for the poor and care about wealth and equality. we got to care about these things because in the reverse of the curse, we ought to be the people who are about the foretaste of that reality. So we're not just content with suffering. We seek to alleviate it. If we live out the gospel in this way, we'll showcase the way in which the world to come will look and get an opportunity to invite the world to join us in that place. We can showcase the moral beauty of God's word and then go be about the action of these things. What if we tried what it looked like for us as a church to seek to eliminate suffering where we saw it seek to emulate our king who is making all things new, and from that posture, speak about this glorious king. Rather than the reverse, speaking about Jesus first, and then maybe we'll try to eliminate some suffering. What if we came with a posture of acting like Jesus and speaking about his glory? Let's give that a shot. Right? Let's be about experiencing as we hope for the experience of the new heavens and new earth. Let's be about bringing a foretaste of it to this city because Jesus is good and he will make all things new. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your glory. You are good. You are faithful. Jesus, we love you. And we are waiting on you to make all things new. And so, God, would you help us now to be about that in our lives and in our city? Would you be working powerfully? And would you make all things new, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.